Nice little synchronicity tonight. I was thinking about how my mom loved razor clams. I was thinking about this diner that we used to go to. And it's right next to this well-known local seafood company. So it's a diner that has hamburgers and everything you'd expect, but they have really good seafood because they're right next to this seafood place. And my mom, my entire life, just loved razor clams. Anytime we were at a seafood restaurant, my mom would go for the razor clams, so I associate them with her. And just earlier tonight, about 7, probably 7 o'clock tonight, I don't know what time, I was thinking about that diner, and I was like, yeah, I haven't been to that diner in years. I don't even know if it's still there. It's way out in the middle of nowhere. And I used to go to that diner with my mom. And so I was thinking about going there with my mom. And I was like, oh, yeah, she would always get the razor clams. And then about an hour later, hour and a half later, I checked my phone. And my sister had messaged me. And she said, oh, a friend gave us some razor clams. And so we're cooking them tonight. And it's making me think of mom. And I was like, wow. It doesn't feel, what's funny is it didn't phase me like a a good synchronicity used to, but I just, that was so interesting to me. I'm like, you know, I hadn't thought about razor clams since my mom died, long before my mom died. And I was just thinking about that diner and her ordering razor clams. So for my sister, for my sister to be given razor clams and to have them for dinner tonight and to let me know about it and also be thinking about how my mom loved them. Just a nice little hit right there. Nice little hit. Synchronicity is fun. The thought just crossed my mind. Rachel Dolezal, who everybody knows, everybody knows who that is. You know, people should really thank her. I think there's a lot of young liberal women who should be thanking her right now. Because if she hadn't gotten so much publicity, if she hadn't been sacrificed... I think a lot of people would be doing that. At this point, I think that a lot of people are so deconstructed. I think if Rachel Dolezal hadn't gotten this hyper attention, I think right now you'd have a bunch of people doing that. And I didn't follow her that closely. Like, I know the basics of it. But I don't know if they did a documentary or anything. I think they I think they did something like a show or a documentary, but I didn't watch that. Her case is interesting though, because it's like she knew just what to accentuate. Like she doesn't look black. But you can see what she saw in herself that could be made ambiguously mixed race sorta of black. And beyond the fake tan and the perm. It's like you could tell what she tried to use to her advantage to look slightly black. And the amount of work that she put into it, you know, the the amount of like literal personal investment is incredible. I like her. I haven't even seen her talk at length or anything. She's probably awful. No, I mean, realistically... I like that I can like her from this great distance, but I think that liberals should love her. There are so many liberal people right now who have been, they've had their identity so deconstructed, they're looking for that next leg up. They would be doing exactly what she's doing, probably not even as well, because she's good at it. Considering what she had to work with, she did a pretty dang good job. 
Like if you saw Rachel Dolezal before she did whatever it is she's doing, if you saw her as a girl growing up and you were to say like, how could that person make themselves look ambiguously mixed race? You'd probably say it's not possible. She managed to take that and work with it and make herself convincingly ambiguously mixed race. And when you know her story, you're biased. Like, if you just look at her knowing what you know, you see a white woman. I see a white woman. But if you didn't know that and you saw how she was presenting herself, you might, uh, you know, you, you might be convinced. But you would never think that somebody who looks the way she naturally looks would be able to do that. But she managed to do it. It just takes constant work. But. She's a pathological liar, too, because what I do know about her is she's made some other claims. Like, even when she admitted that her family is white, like, even when she admitted that she came from a white family, she made the claim that she grew up in a teepee and they had to hunt for their own food. They lived this primitive lifestyle living in a hippie, in a, in a teepee, in a hippie, in a, in a tippy. She grew up in a tippy. She grew up in a tippy. But it came out that like her, her parents came out and said, well, we, meaning her parents, lived in a teepee for a little while, like years before she was born. So she took the story of her parents living in a teepee, probably in the 60s or whatever, probably some sort of, probably was a hippie thing, probably was a tippy hippie thing. But she took this story about her, her parents living in a teepee at one point before she was even alive. And then she turned that into, I grew up in a teepee. And we lived this rustic lifestyle where we hunted for our own food. So she's clearly a pathological liar. Like, even when she came forward about her real family, she still had to tell a lie about a teepee. And she's done that other times, too. Like, she also said that her family lived in South Africa. Like, she grew up in, part of the time in South Africa. And it came out that her family had been to South Africa, but way later. And she didn't go with them. Like, as adults, like, after she was an adult, her parents stayed in South Africa for a while. So that's interesting. It just shows, like, it's like she takes whatever she can and twists it. Obviously pathological. Not that I'm looking to criticize her. But, yeah, people have been so deconstructed. The sacrifice of Rachel Dolezal saved a lot of other people from doing exactly that. They didn't want to risk it after that. They didn't want to become another Rachel Dolezal. So she actually saved them from the same fate. And I do believe people would be doing that. I know that sounds like a joke, and it is. I actually believe a lot of people would be doing that. And men have a harder time for some reason. I feel like with, with being a man, there's less you can do. Where like even if you permed your hair... And changed your voice and got a fake tan all the time. I think it would be harder to convince people as a man that you were mixed race. I know a couple guys have done it. I know there's one guy in particular who's known to have carried himself as a mixed race, part black man, black man. But as a guy, I think it's harder to do. I think just you know, with women, there you know, there's more you can do with your hair. There's a lot you can do with makeup. They have a lot of women have experience doing that already. 
But how many people have just thought about doing that? How many people have secretly desired to do that? I bet that it, I bet the number isn't huge, but I bet it'd be surprising if you knew it. I bet it's not a gigantic number, but I think it'd be surprising if you knew it. The number of people who have thought, I could just pretend to be black for a little while. But no, we're living in a boring freak show. We're living in a shitty freak show. I like a good freak. I, I My entire life, going back to when I was a little kid, any situation I was in, I was looking for the freak. And I liked interesting freaks. I have good taste in freaks. I have good taste in freak shows. That's not what we're living in right now. This is a shitty freak show. It is a boring, shitty freak show. I wish I could find some sort of entertainment in it. I wish I could appreciate it. And I don't go around mad at it. I don't go around angry because I know better than to get... I know better than to go around being angry at a freak show, whether it's good or bad. I do find myself, what I have to say, the silver lining is that I do find myself in any given situation just going, oh, wow, wow. Like just going to the grocery store now, wow, wow, look at these people. It's kind of sad. If I feel anything, I just feel a little bit sad about it because... It does feel like America is officially hopeless. And when I say America, I don't mean the government. I don't mean politics. Yeah, those play into it. But I'm just talking about the people. It's a cliche, we the people. But that is what I, when I say America, that is what I mean, the American people. Because it did feel for a while like we might be able to kind of get the ship back on course. It does not feel that way. I think it's easier for this just to crash and burn. I think it's easier just to step out of the way and let it crash and burn at this point. Why even get involved in the struggle? Why try to fight for the steering wheel at this point? I'm not that kind of person to begin with. I don't like telling other people what to do. I have opinions. I have my take. I have things that I'd like to see. I have dreams. But in terms of telling other people what they should do, I don't like to do that. So that's just how I am to begin with. But I think as just as a, a memo to everybody, try just getting out of the way. Put on your life jacket and just get out of the way. I don't see how you can work. I can't work with this. Because I feel like my entire life, my idea of America was always kind of teetering on the ledge. There's so much that I love about America. There's so much that's uniquely American that the whole world loves, but that I personally, being born in the time and place, having the points of reference, the interests I do, there's a lot that I love about America. And that goes for the people too. There's a lot that I love about the American people. But it was still, even with all that love, I was always teetering on the edge. Where like, it felt like, I feel like I've always been teetering on the edge between that love for being an American and what America has produced, the good, the things that I like about it, versus it being just a, a nightmarish abyss. And it does feel like the latter is in full effect now. 
I don't know how to get the American people back on track. And I'm not even talking about any one particular kind of person here. But I, I can tell you that I have no desire to fight for the controls at this point. I feel like if you do manage to get a hold of the steering wheel, you're just going to end up being the one who gets blamed for the crash. We're basically fighting over who gets credit for this just total madness. A descent into just the ugliest, lowest form of freak show. Mentally, too. Because I've always been interested in mental freak shows. It's not always just the thing that the most obvious thing to see. I'm, I've always been interested in the psychological freak shows, and we got all of it going. But none of it's that interesting. Like, you know how you can see an interview with... There's these old videos of where they interview mental patients. And it's funny watching those because some of them are genuinely interesting. They have a debilitating condition. They're out of their minds. But they actually say genuinely interesting things. And there's other ones where it couldn't be more boring. Like somebody can be saying random things that are just like chopped up, you know, schizophrenic trains of thought. But even then, there's even even then there's good and bad. Even then, there's people who are interesting and those who aren't. And so, if we were living in an interesting freak show, I'd be like, "Great, this is great. What could I possibly complain about?" There's nothing better than being in an interesting freak show. But this one isn't that. It's like the cheap circus came to town. You can't be mad at it, though. You can't be fired up and angry about it. You don't have to like it. I don't like it. But there's no reason to be mad. There's no reason to go around mad. Because there's just a... It's way bigger than any one person. And how quickly it's... I mean, you can see signs of... Kind of like me saying I was always teetering on the edge. As far as how I saw American culture. You know, I... Uh, I can see where we were always teetering on the edge of this in some way. But just how quickly we fell. How quickly it became this. It's not a coronavirus thing. This has been building for years. Coronavi probably accelerated it. But if it's going to crash, maybe it accelerating is a good thing. Maybe it's good that the circumstances we're in is causing this to accelerate. If we were going to get here anyway, if we were going to crash anyway, maybe it's better to crash right away than just slowly driving and losing control and eventually crashing. Maybe it's better that we've just completely accelerated toward it. But, uh, you know, I think it would be all right if people didn't hate each other so much. And it's not like, oh, let's all get along sort of thing. I don't think you have to get along. I don't think you have to like each other. But there's so much resentment. I see it within families, within friend groups. The people who should be banding together don't seem to be. Maybe some people are, but 
seems like the people who should be banding together and appreciating one another are having a hard time doing even that. Because I can think about people that I don't want anything to do with, people I know. But I feel fortunate that I don't feel any spite toward them. I might think like, yeah, it kind of sucks that I don't feel like I can be close to that person anymore. But other than that, there's no like, and fuck them for that. It's all their fault. Fuck them. So I'm glad that I don't feel like I'm going around with any spite. Like, yeah, there's people I don't like. There's, you know, sometimes that you feel that way. But for the most part, it's not, it's not really there on any given day. Like it's not my, I mean, some people think about certain people every day and it's part of the carnival that is their brain is to like, it all revolves around these core people they don't like. Some people have enemies. Some people have clearly defined enemies. And the only thing more, the only thing more sad than thinking someone's your friend and finding out they're not is thinking someone's your enemy and finding out like they don't think about you that way at all. Like we always think about, oh, you know, it's it's so pathetic when somebody thinks that somebody's their friend, but that other person doesn't consider it's not reciprocal. They don't consider that person their friend too. It's all it's a one-sided friendship. The only thing more sad than that is having a one-sided enemy relationship. Where it's like you see somebody as your enemy or your rival or your competitor. Meanwhile, they don't even think about you. I mean, there's, there could be people, you have no idea. You could go about your life. There could be people out there and you have no idea that they think about you and see you as some sort of antagonist in their life. Some sort of rival. There could be people out there who think that about you. It's probably unlikely, but you never know. And uh, meanwhile, you just live your life and you're like, oh, I didn't even, I didn't realize that. I don't see that person that way. But that happens on a, you know, circumstantial basis and certain, you know, it's situational as well, where if you're in a very heated argument or not even a heated argument, what I find is even arguing about something, even just having a debate about information that's totally independent of anything controversial. I mean, I see this with mafia research. I see it with the mafia research I've been involved in where there's certain people will take a stance and it's just, you're dealing with interpreting information and someone will have an opinion like, and their opinion is them. And so they can't help but personalize this debate about something that has nothing to do with them. It becomes personal. Even though it couldn't be more impersonal, it becomes personal to them. And in that moment, it's no longer about the information or the research. It's about proving you wrong. You become their competitor, their rival, their enemy. As long as that argument is going on, you're now their enemy. And it becomes about proving you wrong. It's not about proving that their information or their interpretation or analysis of information is right. It's about beating you. 
And so while that happens just in a debate or an argument, you can easily live your entire life that way if you think there's someone or even groups of people out there who are your enemy, who are your antagonists. You might as well be a person who's stuck in an argument all the time. And you're going to be in for a shock when you find out that that person doesn't even know they're in this argument. That person's not even thinking about you. They don't see you that way. Because, I mean, I imagine having an enemy, and I don't think I've ever had a true enemy in my life. I've had people I don't get along with, but I can't think of ever having an actual enemy. Someone whose presence... I mean, I, I used to hang out with this group of people who drank... Uh, who I, I, I mean, they drank way too much and formed these social groups based on like who they hung out with at bars. And I mean, I've done a little bit of that, but it was just almost like a really shitty version of cheers or something. And they were, they always were developing these like friend enemy relationships. And it got to be where like they, Oh, I can't go in that bar tonight. Cause like, she's there. Like they're constantly getting themselves into these situations where, where you go and what you do is dictated by whether your enemy is there or not, or a friend of your enemy. Oh, oh, she's here. She's a friend of my enemy. So it's like, I can't imagine going places and having to consider that. Oh, I don't know if I can go there today. My, my enemy's there. Like, I mean, we've all been in awkward situations with like ex-girlfriends, whatever, where it's like, well, I'm not going to go there because she's there. That's a little more, that makes sense. It's not even about having a problem with somebody. It's just awkward. Let her have her bar. I don't have to go hang out at my ex-girlfriend's bar where she's going to be. I understand that a little more. That's just life. That's just the awkwardness of life. But when you go through life and it's like you have mortal enemies and you built it up in your head, But there's nothing sadder than a one-sided enemy relationship. And how many of those exist? A lot. That's how a lot of people feel about famous people. Like anybody who's notable. People have opinions on them. And those people really have no idea you exist. Like if I'm going to have an enemy, they better at least know I exist. (laughs) They better at least know it. But uh, Freak Show just continues. And where I live, it's just escalating. There's no question. I use the grocery store as my measuring stick for a lot of things, and I see it at the store. It's not even, you know, just one thing. You know, it's not even just one type of person. There's a lot of different mutation taking place right now. And uh, they're not the good kind of mutants. You know, you think about cartoon mutants or like Ninja Turtle mutants. And uh, usually they turn into, you know, mutant or X-Men or something, whatever. Getting these Marvel references in. But you think about like a superhero mutant and it's like they've become something cool. 
They might look cool. They might have some cool ability. You think about mutation in nature. Think about evolution, which is mutation. Evolution, which is mutation. Evolution is mutation. Think about that, though. And it's like usually, you know, it adapts to something and ends up better or more suited for its environment. But then you think about the bad kind of mutation. The bad kind of mutation, which is like being exposed to toxic waste. And it just makes you weaker and uglier. I feel like that's what we're seeing. It's like we're not seeing good mutation. We're not seeing freaks that are better and stronger for being freaks. Because that happens. I mean... Sometimes we're we're better off with a little weirdness. Sometimes we're better off when we go in a little bit more of a weird direction. But sometimes going in a weird direction just means becoming an amorphous, sick blob. Like a fish who lives in toxic, you know, post-nuclear water. Doesn't end up being able to process toxins better. It just ends up being some weird blob with a short lifespan who who just sinks to the bottom of the water i'm just making that up but that's that's what i think of when i think of like a bad mutation i think of just a creature turning into a blob doesn't develop any special ability its only purpose is just to exist for a short period of time doing nothing That's the sad part about what's going on. It does feel like American culture, certainly the pop culture, but just the culture as a whole, the things that represent it. It feels like they're becoming these just shapeless, worthless blobs. But I don't think that's such a bad thing either, because I, I mean, I think this needed to happen one way or another. I think it got way too heavy. It's sinking to the bottom of the water because it got way too heavy. Because when I think about what America produced up until a certain point, I imagine like a just a, a sailboat, the wind just you know hitting its its sails, just kind of flying around in the water. And now I feel like I just imagine this barge. It's been loaded up with way too much cargo. We don't even know what's in the cargo anymore. We've just been picking up cargo. And there's always somebody on board who's like, no, we need that cargo. Well, we we need that cargo too. Like, what even is it? Where are we taking it? I don't know, but we need it. We need that cargo. And then it's like you're, you got binoculars. You're, you're standing on the shore with binoculars looking at boats. It's your boat watching day. And you see this barge just floating along. You know, like, that looks a little too heavy. I know barges are supposed to carry a lot. That barge looks way too heavy. It looks like it's like sinking on one side. <laughs> <laughs> 
The barge looks like it's starting to sink. And everybody on board is just like, no, it's like, we got to get rid of some cargo. No, we need this. No, we need this one. These cargo containers. And then even just saying, well, maybe we should actually look at what's in them. Can we actually like look at what's in each container? And think about whether we need it or not. Think about whether it's good to keep that on the barge. Considering we're sinking. Someone's like, no, yeah, we just need it. Someone just says, we need this cargo just because, well, I, I, I don't have a reason. Because I want to keep it. They won't even let you look inside of it. They don't even know what's in it. That's how I feel. Weird example. I don't know. I just made that up. That's how I feel, though, watching all this. I'm just like, we're loaded up with cargo, heavy cargo. Seems pretty obvious that we're sinking. But nobody's willing to give up any of this heavy cargo. They all say that it's crucial. They become attached to this cargo. But we're going to have to get rid of some of it. Otherwise, we get rid of all of it. Otherwise, the whole thing sinks. Just wild. Meanwhile, everybody on the barge is just getting weirder and weirder. We've been at sea for so long that it's like we spend all of our time thinking about people who are thinking about people. Life has turned into this like meta life where it's just pure observation of each other all the time. And that's not enough. We are just thinking about other people's thoughts all the time. Something we do normally. Overwhelming enough just to live a life. But now we have the internet. So it's a bunch of people on a barge who are already just people watching people watching people. And then they go to the rooms at night. And they all have phones. And then they get to see what each other is thinking all the time. And then they get to say things. They get to leave their thoughts in the portal. And you get to share your thoughts, often in response to their thoughts. And then other people are talking about both your thoughts. Their thoughts are based on your thoughts and that other person's thoughts put together. And they have, to, they have thoughts on that. And you're all in the barge. You're all in the same barge. And you're going to have to see each other in the morning. But you spend all night just obsessing with each other's thoughts. And their thoughts make you feel something. You can't see somebody else's thoughts. When someone else publishes their thoughts, it makes you feel something. And sometimes it makes you angry. It makes you sit there and you're upset. Maybe you even have to say something in response. I think people need a break from each other. I think they need to get off the barge if they can. They go to shore for a little while. And when they get back, they might look at the cargo and be like, I didn't need this. I, didn't, what the, I don't even know what the heck's in here. 
You open it up and it's rubber duckies. It's like when that barge got stranded in uh, wherever it was. The Strait of Juan de Fuca. Whatever that body of water is. The English Channel. Lake Michigan. Whatever it was. In that waterway somewhere in the east. The eastern part of the world. That barge was stuck and it blocked the whole canal. The The Suez Canal. I might actually get it right. I'm just throwing out random waterways. I might actually end up saying the right one. But uh, the Northwest Passage, when that barge got stuck in the Northwest Passage, um, when I got sitting, my point being, like when that got stuck, how it turned out, it was like sex toys. I assume that was true. I feel like I saw that in a newspaper or something. I don't feel like that was just made up, although it could be. But yeah, it came out that the barge it was carrying, like, not just sex toys, but, like, fake asses. That was perfect. I feel like that's the best example of what I'm talking about. Here, this barge is stuck. And it's carrying the most unnecessary, disgusting, stupid thing that it could possibly be carrying. That's how I feel when I'm talking about this whole uh, barge metaphor, where it's like, we got to get rid of some of this cargo. We're going to get stuck. We're going we're gonna to sink. Someone's like, no, we need this cargo. I need this cargo. This, you might not need this cargo, but there are people who will need it. You might not need what's in this cargo container, but there are people who need it to live. You open it up and it's just fake asses, sex toys. That's how I feel. That's what we're going to find out. If we eventually open this dang cargo, we're going to find out that what we were carrying was like supplies to make white girls dress like black girls so they could pretend to be black girls. Turns out what's in these cargo containers that are making us sink are makeup and hair and beauty accessories that white girls who are trying to act like black girls ordered. But it turns out that's just one of the many things that's making us sink. And we already made Rachel Dolezal walk overboard. We already made her walk the plank, as they say. But, you know, everybody's going to be walking the plank when that barge sinks. So think about what cargo you need. This is getting re- this is real to me now. The idea of being on this barge is very real. It's not even a metaphor anymore. This is just my own fiction. This is my story. I'm writing a book just called The Barge. They're going to make it into a movie. Have you seen The Barge? It's probably the name of a movie, right? It's probably a movie called The Barge. This is a movie about a barge that just keeps picking up more and more cargo. Every port it goes to, it picks up more cargo. 
But the thing is, about three-fourths through the movie, they realize they're sinking. So the crew starts fighting over which cargo to keep and which cargo to get rid of, but they don't know what's in any of it. So they fight and they fight. And the barge sinks and it sinks. And finally at the end, you see that the barge has sunk. And the contents of the container starts to float to the top. And you see it's a fake ass and hair curlers. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.